Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC had themselves a hell of a weekend last weekend. UFC 264 was probably more than we could have even imagined between the crazy finishes, and I do mean crazy, and all kinds of other stuff. We'll be talking about Conor McGregor and what is next for him and Dustin Poirier as part of our show today. Before that... We are going to interview Miranda Maverick, who is getting ready for a fight upcoming very soon with Macy Barber. She talks about that and why some of the 125-pound division is feeling kind of stagnant right now. Then after that, we'll be talking about UFC Vegas 31 as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll be breaking down the three main fights on that fight card, including the main event between Islam Makachev and Tiago Moises. Plus, we'll also be giving you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. And finally, we'll close up the show talking to Jordan Williams as he gets ready for his second UFC bout. He talks about bouncing back from that first fight and what will be different this time around. But of course, before we get to any of that great content, I got to remind you that this show is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for avid sports bettors providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to Better Than Vegas, and there you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests and in every sport imaginable. And in fact, I give you a bonus pick each and every week over on Better Than Vegas that you can only get when you follow Top Turtle MMA on that site. So before you go anywhere, make sure you go ahead, follow Top Turtle MMA on betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me now is Miranda Maverick, who fights Macy Barber at UFC in the Apex on July 24th. So, Miranda, I want to start by talking a little bit about your training camp, because I saw on your social media recently that you were actually training a little bit with Jillian Robertson, who is your last uh, opponent, actually. What what sort of prompted that, and what led to you training with the last person you have a win over? Well, I try to train with as many females as I can, and I cross-train a lot. Um, you've probably also seen I've been traveling to train uh, Vegas. I had um, Deanna Bennett, who's a previous opponent, come down and train with me, and now Jillian Robertson. I just think that everybody I fight can help me in some way, and Jillian has very good ground game. Deanna Bennett has very good wall pressure and wall work, and those are areas where I need to work on, as was shown by the fights with them. When I lack something, I try my best to put the ego aside and work on that. Um, so it was just a good opportunity where their coaches and themselves agreed to come down and get some work in with me before this fight. And is that something that you try to do every time you compete? You, you feel like if somebody had a good moment against you or, or you know, highlighted a weakness, do you usually try to do something like that where you train with the, the opponent? Not necessarily right away. This time it ended up working out. Um, usually I don't have time because of school and I had a little bit more free time, so I was able to get it worked out. But I do definitely go back and look and see what holes I have. And if I can get people to work on those holes with me, I do. It's just not always 
uh, the very opponent who was able to beat me in those areas. This time I was lucky that it was and uh, bring in those those different views, you know, the different looks. And I just like cross-training as a whole. I do that in between every single fight because I don't have that small of people to train with or the, you know, the same looks as I do in my own gym because it's Muay Thai and jiu-jitsu oriented, not as many actual MMA fighters. So I try to go cross-train with females, with smaller guys, and figure out the holes I have and work on them. I think it's important to be humble and always be ready to learn new things. Uh, absolutely. And now I'm curious too, because you said you felt like one of your holes was being held against the cage and getting off and, and being able to, to do a couple other things that, that Jillian Robertson did. Now, out of curiosity, is this something that you feel like, you know, you're just working as, you know, making yourself a complete martial artist, or is this something specifically you're a little bit worried about and wanted to make sure you shored up before you fought somebody like Macy Barber? Um, not at all with the Macy fight, actually. I fight I go in to train for the champion of the world. I don't go in to fight for my next fight. Of course, I work things, you know, if they've got a signature move or a thing that they do, I definitely try to make sure that I'm aware of that and go into the fight um, cognizant of it in my game plan. But I'm training to be the best in the world. So I'm trying to become that complete martial artist, make sure I don't have any holes at all. And when I say holes, I think I was still really good against the wall. I have a really great ground game. But when other people have a little bit better pressure than me or a move or two that's better than mine or a little bit faster on the ground like Jillian was, then I try to learn the best I can. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I did want to talk to you about your grappling, too, because it seems like, you know, when you look at the 125 pound rankings, which you're now in. Uh, congratulations, by the way. Uh, when, when Thank you, you. When you look at those rankings. You're really the only one that I, I typically think of as like a wrestler type, as somebody who, who dominates in the wrestling. And granted, your, your striking has come a long way. You got the stoppage on the feet against Leanna Jojua. But do, do mm-hmm. you see that as, as an area where you have an advantage over, I mean, j- seems like just about everybody in front of you? Um, I do, actually. I appreciate you noticing. A lot of people, you know, just watched my last two fights in the UFC and and come to the assumption that I have no ground game, which is always amusing to me because if you watch any of my Invicta fights, it's the exact opposite assumption for most people. Um, But I do find myself to be one of the best wrestlers in the division by far and now one of the best jujitsu players in the division um, that is ranked right now. And, you know, we have Tatiana coming into the division who's going to be very good at wrestling, so that's going to be really exciting to see her compete at 125 as well. I was actually going to, that that's written down as my next question on my sheet here. I, I wanted to ask you about Tatiana Suarez because it it does seem like you two do a lot of the same things, right? Like you you have a lot of the same strengths, you have a lot of the same areas that it seems like you both improve with the hands mm-hmm. every single time out. What, what do you think about her coming up to 125? I'm actually really excited. Jill, uh, Jillian um, Tatiana was always like kind of an inspiration to me. I watched her. Carla Esparza fight, and I was like, wow, I really need to implement my wrestling like that, you know, and get in there and be more dominant and less fearful with it, and it kind of just encouraged me to do that more and train a little bit more to that aspect, Um, but I am really excited that she's coming up to 125. I never really thought that was going to be a thing. I hope she's able to heal up and actually have this fight and continue being healthy as she goes on in the division. I think she'll be one of the top ranked very soon, and I think that'll be great competition for me in the very near future. Well, now that, that's actually my next question for you. So, so you said, you know, she does a lot of the same things as you. She was an inspiration to you. Now she's in the same division as you. And really at the trajectory you're on, you are, you know, you're moving up the rankings quick. They're giving you a big name like Macy Barber. Granted, she hasn't had the greatest results lately, but she is that name that you can sort of build yours off of. 
do you see that you're like only a fight or two away from fighting somebody who you just, you know, acknowledged was an inspiration to you? Yeah, potentially, um, Tatiana. I think there's a lot of options in the flyweight division, though. Right now, it's so stagnant. We have a lot of these older women in the division, and I think they just need out of there. I honestly think, you know, whoever wins out of the Tatiana versus Montefiore fight, I would like to fight them or uh, Joanne Calderwood. There's a lot of girls in the division right now that I would like to just get out of there almost. They're they're kind of just sitting there because they haven't faced anybody that's younger or up and coming yet. Meanwhile, they keep putting the up and comers against each other. Yeah, that that is interesting too. They do seem to do that with between you and Antonita Shevchenko and Macy Barber and like yeah, the the bottom of the the top fifteen there does seem to fight each other. D- does that inspire you to like call out some of those women at the top of the division? Or I mean that that doesn't seem like your your method here. You're not like a the type who who barks for who you want next, but does it give you more inspiration to do that? Definitely, and I think I did call out who I wanted next. Um, that is one of my methods, actually. I called Antonina, got Macy. I'm not talking about the top, the bottom of the division fighting each other. I'm talking about age, like the youth. They had me fight Liana Jujua. She was an upcomer as far as prospect in youth. Now they had Jillian and I fight. We were two of the youngest in the division. And it knocked her down a little bit. And now they're having me fight Macy, another young up-and-comer. It's like they're almost shooting themselves in the foot for getting a moving division. They're taking all these young girls that have a chance to create a whole new future division, and they're making them look bad. Yeah, that that is interesting. It is an interesting thought. Now, you are the one who seems to be coming out on top in this. So if there's anybody to mess it up, it's it's you right now. So <laughs> let, let, let's talk about your next step in the fight because you are fighting another you know, younger up and comer in Macy Barber, you know, you said you, you don't really expect her to do those same things that Julian Robertson does when they offered you her. What, what were some of your first thoughts about her as an opponent? I was actually excited about her as an opponent. I think that she's strong. She's young. She's got that big name. And I think that's what a lot of people wanted to see me and her fight as a result of, uh, I think that, you know, she's a little bit wilder than I am in the cage. I keep very calm. She's a very emotional fighter, and I think that's going to work to my advantage in this fight. And out of curiosity, too, you know, we're looking back at, at some of her older fights. One of the ones that sticks out in my head is the Roxanne Matafari fight, right? Because despite the fact that mm-hmm. she did injure her leg, Roxanne Matafari had a pretty easy time taking her down and controlling her on the ground and, and even getting some really advantageous positions in the grappling is that something where you feel like you have the, the biggest advantage here in that, that grappling and controlling her, similar to Roxy did? Um, possibly the biggest advantage. I think really in every aspect I have a lot of advantage. Maybe minus the uh, throwing King Kong punches, I think I have the <laughs> advantage against her. Uh, my technique's a lot better. I think I have faster speed than her, and I throw straight punches versus the curved you know, left-right feet moving forward punches that she throws a lot. Um, but I also think that my ground game in wrestling is better than hers as well. We saw in the Alexa Grasso fight that her wall work is somewhat lacking, and I'm making sure that any loose ends I had there are now tied up. Well, that's great to hear. Now, before I let you go, I did want to see if I could get you to waver or wager a prediction. How do you see this one going uh, when you face <laughs> off with Macy Barber on the 24th? Um, I think it's going to be a finished second round. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Miranda Maverick, who fights Macy Barber at UFC from the Apex on July 24th. Miranda, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Miranda Maverick. I once again am Daniel Gumby-Freeland. Join now. 
by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. What are your feelings on Dana White after UFC 264 saying that they are for sure, for sure, going to do Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier for? Yeah, you know, Dana White is in the Conor McGregor business, and if that's what McGregor wants, I mean, you know, it, it would make sense from the standpoint of these filthy casuals who maybe tuned into that and said to themselves, like, oh, it wasn't a proper, you know, end to a fight. It was just kind of weird. But, you know, for the hardcore fans, you and I both know that Dustin basically 10 8 him in my in my books. Um, and really, again, just looks bigger, stronger, uh, and grappling-wise is the true mixed martial artist between the two of them. And that's not to say that Connor maybe, you know, couldn't crack him and catch him. But the longer those fights wear on, they favor Dustin and not Connor. And I loved what, what Connor did coming out there with the light kicks and being aggressive that way. But then you know what? Dustin tagged him back, and then Connor clinched. Which is like, holy smokes. I mean, that was to catch a break because he didn't like what he was getting in, in the exchanges. So, you know, long story short, I don't need to see it again. But Dana White, ESPN, publicly traded company, they want to see it again. That's fine. Who freaking knows, though? By the time Connor recovers from this thing, you know, you might be looking at like a year of recovery then if Dustin is tied up or Dustin is injured, you know, I don't know, maybe this thing happens in the fall of 2023. It's just so far from now. Who knows? Uh, what do you, what did you make of Dana, you know, promising it? My, my only worry about it. So first of all, I, I know that they were going to try to make money off of this again. My only concern about it. And this was my first thought when it came out of Dana's mouth is what if Dustin wins? What if Dustin goes and beats Charles Oliveira? Are we really going to give Conor McGregor on this run that he is on right now looking pretty damn bad, if we're being honest? Because you're right. He he got 10-80. Two of the judges gave him gave Dustin Poirier 10-8s there, and I think the third mm. one might have been blind. Cause, you know, like, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two of them actually did give him 10-8 so, um, because the, the scorecards came in before they saw the foot was broken or whatever. But, like, it, and that's also the best time that Conor is, right? Like, Conor's at his best standing in the first round and he got blasted there so uh, you know i don't want to see that if dustin wins like if dustin loses to to charles Oliveira, no matter where he's at if you want to run it back for another payday fuck yeah i'm into it whatever i don't want to watch it i think i don't need it but like if that's what they want to do i'm fine with it but if dustin wins and you're telling me you're going to give conor mcgregor a title shot like you said possibly in fall of 2022 coming off of this run and recovery Man, dude, that is going to be, and I don't know who's going to be waiting in the wings and getting overlooked, but in that lightweight division, you have to imagine somebody's being overlooked, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's just like the the trickle-down Chinese water torture kind of effect, death by a million cuts for me, with knowing that this entity that is the UFC that we know and love it's part sport and it's a lot of parts entertainment and if McGregor ends up with a title shot having one win since Barack Obama left uh presidency in 2016 on a three and five run now in his last eight um or yeah actually I guess three and four in his last seven um 
you know, it just is what it is. I mean, that's what the UFC does, and it, it would disgust me, you know, but I, I'm still going to be there watching it. So what does that make me? I do want to bring up, too, by the way, I hated Connor's um, hype to this fight. I hated his post-fight antics. Not that it matters. Like, who cares, really? He's in the business of selling fights. He's good at it. But it, the whole thing, like, you know, it's just I'm seeing a diminishing performance from him each time out. So now his trash talk, which was very fun in the Chad Mendez, Jose Aldo era, is just coming off kind of pathetic to me. So, you know, whatever the UFC wants to do, they'll do. But there are just so many exciting fighters at lightweight. Like, I, you know, I look forward to Gregor Gillespie's next fight more so than I do Conor McGregor's. What does that say? Yeah, and, and you know, not to, to force a transition here, but – there's a, a lightweight headliner on this upcoming UFC event this next weekend that hey. might have somebody who is right there and close and not for anything, I think probably would be Conor McGregor at this point. Dude, I, I oh my God. You just did such a great transition into our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, brought to you by my bookie. Uh, let's get to it, but I want to go back to that. All right, fine. I'll just say it right now. I don't think Connor beats half of the fighters in the top ten. <laughs> All right, I said it. Hey, Gumby, this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays, who sponsors it? <laughs> this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. In the world of sports, the offseason is a time to relax and regroup after a hard-fought season, but playing with MyBookie gives you the choice to decide when your season begins and when it ends. At MyBookie.ag, you can bet on hundreds of games and leagues from around the world, whether it's a game day parlay or a long shot winner. MyBookie's got you covered. Use pregame props or bet the game live to shift the odds in your favor and always come out on top. And not only does MyBookie host exclusive sports betting contests that you can't find with any other books, but the bonuses are insane. And if you sign up today with MyBookie and use our promo code, Top Turtle, you'll receive up to $1,000 in bonus money when you make your first deposit. That's 1000 bucks in extra cash when you make your first deposit with MyBookie using the promo code TOPTURTLE. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Wait a minute, Gumby, I'm sorry. Maybe I have a bad phone connection with you. I could just be a little hard of hearing. Did you say people will get how much bonus money when they sign up using our code? You can get up to $1,000 in bonus money on my bookie using promo code TOPTURTLE. Stop the presses. Shut the fridge up. That is amazing. We love my bookie. Use our promo code. All right, real quick before we get into the main event. Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Benil Darush, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, RDA, Dan Hooker, Makachev, Gregor Gillespie. Who out of those 10 do you bet your life savings that McGregor beats? I would say – I think I would I would not favor him – I think I would – if I was, like, putting my own line on things, if yeah, I was saying you get even money on all of these, who would I bet Connor against? I would say I would bet him against two and a half of them. I would bet two. Connor right now would beat Dan Hooker. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like Dan Hooker, but I, I think, you know, the fact that this turns into almost like a pure striking match and Hooker's kind of hittable, um, as we saw in the Michael Chandler fight, I think I'd take Connor in that. I'm starting to think I'd probably still take Conor McGregor at this point against Tony Ferguson. It's just a diminished mm. Tony Ferguson. You know, and I don't mean to be, you know, and I, nobody was ever higher on Tony Ferguson than I was. I was picking him against Habib all that time ago. Um, and, and like, yeah, like I, I still think I'd take Conor there. 
And then I will say, I would at least think about him against Benil Dariush. I know Dariush has got the grappling, but I don't know that Dariush doesn't get tagged before he gets to the grappling. Um, you know, like if Condor came out with that same aggression he had against Dustin Poirier, I don't know that that like Dariush would survive it necessarily every single time. So I'd at least think about it. I might wind up picking Dariush, but I would probably at least think about Connor. So I'd probably take him against Hooker and Ferguson. Maybe nobody else. And hey, dude, if you went further down that top 15, like I might take somebody like Brad Riddell over him too. Or I mean, Armin Sarkurian is a beast mode wrestler too. And he's sitting at 15. Man, there are people all over that top 15 I might take over Connor there. I, I feel like we could do an entire topic on this, and maybe that should just be the top of, topic of our next show when there isn't a fight to break down. But, yeah, for me, there's just a blueprint on how to beat him now. So if Gregor Gillespie or Islam Makhachev can get past those first three minutes of you know potential rocket fire from his left and just do what Khabib did, uh, yeah, you know, I, you know where my money lies. But I do agree with you. I think it's a half of a Benil Darush. I probably like him against Ferguson. I like him against – I probably like him against RDA, too, short of RDA turning it into more of an MMA contest. But I think the – and what I mean by that is working in a clinch, working in grappling, working in submissions, making Connor tire. I think what this really comes down to is that I just find Connor to be very one-dimensional, and it's really tough to get away with that for a long time in the UFC, unless that one dimension is like a Khabib, where you're controlling the fight the whole time from where you want it to be. All right, we've said enough. We've mentioned his name a few times. Islam Makhachev is in the main event this week. It's very exciting. He's a massive favorite. He's a minus 620. Tiago Moises on a three-fight win streak at plus 420. He uh, is coming off of wins over Alexander Hernandez, Bobby Green, uh, had a leg lock submission over Michael Johnson, so three wins in a row, but still the dog here because Makiachev is just that damn good. Uh, he's 19-1 and one as a pro. He does have one loss in the UFC. It was his second fight ever in the UFC. Lost via KO to Adriel Martins, but since that time, he is on a seven-fight win streak, coming off an arm triangle choke of Drew Dober, beat the likes of Davi Ramos, uh, Gleason Tebow, Nick Lentz, Chris Wade in this seven-fight win streak. If they're, you're taking Makiachev, we all know that. How would Moises win? Um, but go ahead, give your official pick. So the thing is, I think Tiago Moises, if this did hit the ground, actually is crafty enough in his jiu-jitsu that I think he could sub Makachev. I mean, like Makachev, you know, like you said, has got really good pressure like you know Habib like you know he's he's damn good when it's on the map but like if, if there was a way for him to win this fight it would be Makachev taking him down and him catching him with an arm bar or stuff like that he he's hit really great subs off of his back including that heel hook over or, or I guess it was a uh calf I, I don't I can't remember exactly straight ankle lock against uh Michael Johnson so like I, I think he could get that but here's the problem Islam Makachev, despite the fact that he is that amazing wrestler, knows when he's up against somebody who can work jujitsu against him, right? Like two fights ago, he fought Davi Hamosh, and Davi is, you know, world champion, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belt, and Islam did not go to the ground with him. Islam chose, and granted, he did shoot one, one takedown, if you really want to call it that a takedown, it, it seemed more like just scaring Davi a little bit. But he just kept it on the feet the whole time and, and just peppered Davi Hamosh in, like, the worst kind of way. Um, he stayed safe. He was smart. So, like, when he knows he's going to be safe on the ground, 
he rips people to the ground and beats them there when he knows that might be a harder way. He just outpoints him on the feet. So I, I think he probably outpoints Tiago Moises pretty easily on the feet here. But he has that in his back pocket where he like can go to the ground. And so I, I would say I think, you know, like you said, Moises' best way to win here is to hope he gets taken down and win there. But like, I, I don't think Makachev is going to fall into that. Yeah, I I agree completely. I mean, it's Makachev all day for me. I'm not even going to add anything else to it. Um, Misha Tate is returning. Isn't that exciting? So, you know, Misha Tate, really a pioneer of women's MMA, somewhat overshadowed by Ronda, and at the same time, somewhat brought up by Ronda because they had a very fun rivalry in the early days of the UFC introducing female MMA. Of course, it was just one division at that time, believe it or not, 135. Now there are four, LOL, <laughs> there's really only three. Um, but that being said, uh, Misha has been gone since 2016. We last saw her at UFC 205, two-fight losing streak. She was the champ. She beat Holly Holm. Thrilling contest. Go back and watch it if you haven't seen it. A rear naked choke late in the fifth round. Holly Holm didn't want to attack, is doing air punches while she goes out. Misha becomes the champion, lifelong journey, dream fulfilled. Then she promptly loses it to Amanda Nunes at UFC 200 and then loses to Raquel Pennington at uh, the MSG show, actually. Um, Am I right in saying that? Yeah, that was the MSG uh, Connor versus Alvarez fight. Um, So she was on two very historic cards, back-to-back, 200 and 205. And actually, now that we're even talking about it, she was on McGregor Diaz 1. So the last three fights of Misha Tate's career, UFC 196, UFC 200, and 205, are three of the most important, like, historical fights in MMA history. But that being said, no one cares about that when she steps into the octagon after a three-year layoff. But she's probably fighting the right person because Marion Renault's on a four-fight losing streak. It's almost shocking she's still in the UFC. It's almost like she's in the UFC just to lose to Misha Tate in a return, lost to the likes of Katzengano. Yana Kaniskaya, Raquel Pennington, and Macy Chazon. That's the four-fight losing streak. She does have wins over Sarah McMahon, though, and a draw with Betch Cahaya. Uh, she is the plus-105 dog here, so very slight, and Misha, the minus-135 favorite. You get these odds at my bookie. Who you got? I'm going with Misha Tate. Um, you know, you kind of said Marion Renault. She's given one more chance. The the UFC, and I think even Marion has said this is a retirement fight. She's, I don't know if you know this, Marion Renault is older than Alexi Olenek, um, which is, yeah, it's just shocking to me when I look that up every single time. But she's, yeah, she's not a spring chicken by any stretch of the imagination. Um, she was born on June 20th of 1977, um, which just kind of blows your mind a little bit when you're thinking about uh how old she is in in mma but so tate is actually the younger fighter here and yeah she's been away for five years but look at those renault losses largely those losses are because she can't stop the takedown like she got taken down six times by kat zingano who i don't particularly think of as like a wrestler do you um you know like i I think of her being really good in the clinch with knees and and, you know even her boxing is pretty good but I just think Tate's going to take her down and control her. And even if, if Renault winds up on top in any of these exchanges by some miracle, because she does have some decent wrestling of her own right, I think Tate's going to sweep her. And, and, you know, I know the time away, people are worried about ring rust, but, like, I don't think that that's going to be enough of it in play. If you've seen pictures of Misha Tate, she looks like she's in insane shape, and, and she wouldn't be coming back if she was rusty. So I, I'm going to take Misha Tate straight up here. I, I think she gets the job done. I, I also am picking uh, Misha, and I also have to wonder, too, what is – I'd love to look at 
you know, the historical records of fighters off a multi-year layoff. Because when I think of like some of the more high profile cases, Brock Lesnar came back and beat Mark Hunt just doing what Brock Lesnar does. GSP came back, beat Michael Bisping after multiple years off. Um, you know, even like someone like uh, Vince Pichel, you know, had a, a multi-year long layoff injury, came back and has gone four and one since then. I think the ring rust thing gets a little overplayed, but you know, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to looking into that, uh, and maybe that's something we'll have the intern do. Uh, Matthias Gamrot is a minus 20, 225 favorite. Jeremy Stevens, our boy, a plus 185 dog, having a tough go at it. Had the accidental eye poke, uh, no contest to Yair Rodriguez. Came back and lost to Yair via unanimous decision. Fight of the night in that contest. And then lost to Calvin Cater via KO in his last fight back in May of 2020. So been about a year since we last seen him. He's the dog here. Uh, Stevens is someone who's fought for the UFC going back to UFC 76 back in 2007. Uh, so might be in the twilight of his career here. And actually, if you go back before the no contest, he had lost to Zabit and Jose Aldo. So he's 0-4 and one no contest in his last five. Who are you taking here? I mean, Andy's going up to 155. Um, he was supposed to fight Jakar Klosa, and he pushed him in the pre-fight. Um, and obviously some, some pretty bad stuff happened to Jakar Klosa. And I actually think that made this fight worse for Jeremy Stevens because Gamro is just going to absolutely take him down and beast mode him on the ground. Because Madras Gamro, one of the more underrated 155ers out there, I actually think that this is even more one-sided than negative 225 because I, I think Gamro is actually probably a value play here. He takes Jeremy Stevens down, does whatever he wants to him for either 15 minutes or until he decides it's over. No complaints for me. Uh, we'll do this lightning round fashion. Our dog of the week is Billy Quarantillo. He's a plus 150. Let's hear it. Yeah, so I actually, I'm pretty big on Billy Quarantillo for a couple of reasons. I think he looks great on the feet when it's, he's on the feet. He knocked out Kyle Nelson, which is pretty badass. He looked good against Spike Carlisle, who's damn good. He had a great submission of Jacob Kilburn. Yeah, he lost to Gavin Tucker in the takedowns of Gavin Tucker, but... You know, I, I don't see Gabriel Benitez bringing that same kind of wrestling game. Benitez, despite the fact that he's good at jiu-jitsu, likes to stand and trade. I think that gives Quarantillo an advantage here to not have to worry about that takedown. So Quarantillo at, net, at plus 150 seems like a good number to me. All right, our parlay to play is Misha Tate and Miles Johns. Misha, a minus 135 favorite. Johns, a minus 180 favorite. Pair them together, get your plus 170 odds. Let's hear it. So, again, I, I mentioned why I like Misha Tate at the beginning. I, I think she controls this fight fairly easily, and at negative 135, I, I think that's a steal. Miles Johns, same thing. I'm, I'm taking him control-wise here. I, I think he's a really underrated fighter. Sure, he's only 2-1 in the UFC, but that one loss, he was not looking bad before he ate a flying knee knockout. So, you know, and, and that was to Mario Batista, who has looked damn good in the UFC as well. So, I, I really like Miles Johns here against Anderson Dos Santos. I think he probably takes him down, controls this fight in a number of ways. And taking two people who you feel pretty comfortable, like, controlling the fight and where the fight is going, I think is a great way to pair them together and, and get a plus 170 return here. Boom, you heard it here first. Follow the show at Top Turtle MMA. While the fights are going on, we love to live tweet. Uh, and, of course, if you go over to iTunes and leave us a review, it helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle Podcast studio. Give us a five-star review if you think we earned it. Gumby, this train is a moving. Where should we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Jordan Williams, who talks about his UFC debut, bouncing back from that loss, and, of course, his bout with Mickey Gall. 
But of course, before we get to that interview, I do have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use the app to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, techniques, competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Make sure you download Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Jordan Williams. All right, and joining me now is Jordan Williams, who fights Mickey Gall at UFC in the Apex on July 24th. So, Jordan, I want to start with your last fight. You you obviously made your debut back in October against Nasoridini Mavav. Uh, it happened on Fight Island, obviously not the result that you wanted, but can you give us a couple of takeaways from finally getting that chance to make your UFC debut? Uh, yeah, it was... Uh... Awesome just to make my debut. I mean, the feeling of being in the UFC. But, you know, the backhanded uh, side of that is uh, these boys mean business. And I, I came in there. Um, oh, it was a, it was a uh, excuse me, like a 17-day notice fight. And I was dealing with a broken knee, couldn't run, couldn't train uh, at my full potential. Now I know that. I can't go on the fights with, like, injuries like that. And, I, uh, and that's the big takeaway. That, you know, I'm with the big boys now. I'm on the big stage. And, and like, all those little nicks and bruises, like, um, or I, that's a big one. You can get away with little nicks and bruises, but you can't really uh, uh, go into a fight with that much percentage. Uh, I, was, I was a little bit humbled in my last fight. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you, you said a broken knee. How, how broken are we talking here? Did you need, you know, cast? Did you need surgery? What What? What was the the outcome after the fight for you? Uh, well, I broke the knee before that fight. So in preparation to that fight, it was actually in preparation to a Jordan Wright. I broke my knee before the Gregory Rodriguez fight, and uh, it was an evolving fracture. So a piece of my of the back of my knee broke off, and it took a uh, took a piece of uh, or, oh, so a tendon broke off a bone, and it took a piece of bone with it. So it's called an avulsion fracture. That happened before the Gregory Rodriguez fight, and uh, I just had, you know, didn't want to say no to the ESC, and I still went in there with that. I got the win for that fight, but, you know, for the for the uh, involved, the Nostalgian fight, I felt like I was, my gas tank wasn't really fully prepared. And just wrestling with bigger, but I wasn't able to wrestle for for months or weeks, and I I, I felt like uh, when I go against bigger bodies, I I, I I need that, you know. Yeah, and, and and you mentioned bigger guys too. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this fight with Nikki Gall not happening at 170 pounds, which is less than your last few fights? Was that part of the decision in, in taking a welterweight fight? Yeah, I mean this size. You know, the, that, I mean, not only my performance, but just my size in general, that was the biggest takeaway from from uh, going down to 170, fighting Mickey Gall there. Uh, Mark Montoya and my management, we both made a, we all made an agreement that 170 seems like the body frame that, that I fit most. And I know, too, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this before your Imovov fight, but 
you know, dealing with a weight cut while you're diabetic, which is, is pretty well documented in the media now, can't be too easy. Have you done a lot of like pre-dieting here so that your weight is lower, so that we're, we're looking at less of a weight cut? What does what the, the weight situation look like right now uh, for you, given that situation? Yeah, uh, like I said prior in, uh, in those media outlets that you're talking about, I like the I like the management. I like the weight manage, not weight cut. So I manage my weight. Right now, I was 179, 180 after practice. So you know that we're looking at a eight pound drop of water or muscle in between the water and muscle that I feel I can gain back by the time the fight rolls around. I've just been with better eating habits rather. Well, that's good to hear. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the Mickey Gall fight itself, too, because Mickey Gall is kind of a big name in the MMA world. Uh, obviously, some of that name was built off of some wins over some questionable opponents like CM Punk and stuff like that. But were you surprised when they came to you with a name like Mickey Gall, who is kind of a big figure in MMA? I love it. I love that. I love the matchup. I love the name. I love the weight behind the name. And, I mean... Uh, someone who doesn't really believe in themselves that they, they can put on a show would be like, yeah, I'm surprised they called me. But, you know, uh, I have a really good matchup team. Like I said, I think this matchup is great for me. And I am and I feel like they uh, are ready for me to put on a show this time. Absolutely. And I'm, so I feel I'm, like, yeah. And, and, and I was just looking at the, the odds on the fight, too, which I'm not sure if you're a guy who looks at odds. You're a pr- pretty substantial favorite here over Mickey Gall. They've got you at negative 215, which means you're you're about a 2-1 to one favorite here over Mickey Gall. Does that surprise you that, that even the, the betting public and the, the public in general sees you as should being able to go in there and take care of a, a big name like Mickey Gall? Right. I mean, honestly, no, see, no, I'm not surprised that they called me for the fight, but I am actually – Surprised for those odds because my last fight and all the all other fights against um, Gregory Rodriguez, nothing. I was I was like the two to one average lot of the person to lose, or like the four to. I think against uh, Ramazan, I was like the biggest underdog, the biggest underdog on the card via the odds. So I I feel like I'm shocked that the world finally finally knows that I come to bang, I come I come to throw down. Absolutely. Now, before we finish up talking about that fight, too, you know, you mentioned Gregory Rodriguez a couple of times. And, you know, I want to talk about some of your past fights, too, because you do have a win over Gregory Rodriguez, who since then has made his UFC debut, looked damn good doing it, beating Dusko Todorovic. And and then, like, you also have a win back on, uh, granted, the amateur scene against Max Griffin, who, who just picked up a big win over Carlos Condit. Does some of your confidence going into fights come from the fact that you know that you've beaten some of these guys who now are not just in the UFC but but doing pretty big things in the UFC? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think uh, that, that that just allowed me to follow up their momentum, and that's kind of like a cheat, uh, you know, like you know, cheat code to gain some of the, that confidence. So I feel like if you're not gaining confidence and a mental boost off that, that's that's a waste of that, that, those are two weights of big wins, you know, like uh, my, so yeah, uh, Max just beat Carlos Khan, and now I can put that in my pocketbook. Like I know Max, I called Max out, uh, and he he didn't respond. He didn't even want the business. You know what I'm saying? So 
it's kind of like it's definitely a confidence booster because uh, Max knows it. He knows I'd fuck him up again, and and uh, you know Gregory was humble and everything, and 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 I fucked him up. So it's 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 definitely a confidence booster for me. I still have to stay humble. I still have to come in there against Mickey Gall with all bad intentions. But I feel like if I remind myself that not only that I can hang with the big boys is that I beat up a couple of the big boys, you know. We we can we can take that momentum forward. Absolutely, and and you mentioned that you've called out Max Max Griffin before and, and said that you'd like to do it again. Is, is that a fight that you see on the horizon? That that's one you would like to have to to show that you can still do it now years later. No, I mean I I did I, I did for the clout. I wanted I, he has attention and I want it. But honestly, if I call you out, if you ain't a man enough to say shit. You're not a man enough enough. You're not a man enough for me to fight you. It's gonna be an easy victory. It ain't gonna do much for me mentally. And the fool, the fool backed out. I gave him a chance to get his face back because you know we, it was years, years, years ago, and he ain't want it. So you know what? Mentally, I just don't think. I think Max is is smart in picking his opponents, picking people with a bigger name instead of a bigger skill set. Well, we certainly think uh, you've got a point there. Now l- let's talk about the Mickey Gall fight one more time because. You know, that's that's the next step for the Jordan Williams story, and, and that takes place on July 24th. Can you give us a prediction? How do you see this one going with Mickey Gall? Sorry. Um, I I feel like this one's going to be a knockout. I feel like I either I clip him in the first, um, finish him in the second, because uh, I saw him against, uh, Mike Perry, he, got, he, he took like, some shots, you know, it wasn't until uh, Mike got him behind the head on, on his uh, on, on his overhand, right, that really uh, took him out. So, I feel, I feel like the, uh, I, I feel like I, I clip him in the first, I either capitalize and take him out in the first, or it's a slow... It's a slow on taking into the second round where I finally catch him. Now I'm not gonna, uh, I'm I'm not gonna say that I like you know it can't happen in the third, but I just feel like with the the, the new dynamics that I have to the table, it, I don't see this going past the second round. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. That was Jordan Williams who fights Mickey Gall at UFC in the Apex on July 24th. Jordan, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me again. Uh, uh, spit my spiel, you know, and explain myself one more time. Get, everyone else, get your money down before the bets changes too much. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, MyBookie. Be sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE on your first deposit there for up to $1,000 in bonus cash. And, of course, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TopTurtleMMA there. It's, of course, the best place to get updates on the newest shows we're dropping and all kinds of other great banter come fight night. Until then, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you next week.